This is absolutely key as supernatural virtues because they're informed by faith. If we don't have those four qualities of character, we really need to do some work because it will be very difficult for us to live a supernatural life. We will never make choices that are difficult for ourselves. We will never set ourselves goals that are challenging. We will never win the battle of prayer that the Pope talks about, that John Paul II talks about in the, in the, in the Catechism, in the fourth section on prayer. And there's a battle to be fought. Big, interesting issue, isn't it? I'm going to, I'm going to go to my cheat notes. So. Think about this. I'll illustrate it. Um, think about what happens in the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has got the, the chosen people there in front of him. And he's saying, listen, you've got to love God with everything you've got. You've got to love him with your whole heart and soul and mind and strength. And, I, and clearly this is a massive message for the Jewish people. Our Lord takes it up and he's the one who answers that question as well with those words. But remember, that's called the Shema. That's called the Shema. And every single Jewish practicing family would recite the Shema, I believe, at the dinner table with their father. So it was very clear that, gee, this is core business for anybody who wants to, to, to live a good life. You've got to love God with everything you've got. Um, do you know what comes after that in the book of Deuteronomy? Do you remember? It tells us in the next paragraph, it says, you have to write this on your doorposts. You have to talk to your kids about it around the dinner table. You have to wear it on your clothing. You have to wear it on your forehead. Make sure that this is constantly present to you. What comes next? What's in the third forgotten paragraph? What comes after that? Because when you go into the land of milk and honey, you will be tempted to forget this. The Jewish people were being warned by Moses that, if, that it would be very easy for them to forget to love God with everything they've got once they're in a comfortable environment. And you and I are in a very comfortable environment. We're in the land of milk and honey. Milk is all the stuff we need. Honey is all the sweet bits. We've got the lot. If you go to The Economist, The Economist has a table of the most uh, desirable countries to live in. Every year they republish it with some survey that they do. And Australia is always number four or five or three or something like this, right? Do you know what the first three countries are? The first three countries are Scandinavian countries where it doesn't have any sun. Why would you want to live there? We live in the best country in the world. Not only that, we live in the most affluent time of all. Think of a, think of a mountain where right at the top are the five billion people of the hundred billion people that have lived in the history of mankind. Right at the top, amongst those five billion people, we're at the very top of that pile because we live in the best country to live in in the world one of the most peaceful countries, one of the most affluent countries. So if it was hard in our Lord's time for the Jewish, for Jewish people to, you know, for the, for the, if it was hard for a Jewish man to enter the kingdom of heaven because harder than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, how hard is it for us? Think about it. What's going on? Stepping back, if it's so hard to love God with everything we've got, gee, we've got to have the software. And the software is those four cardinal virtues. 
if we can manage our emotional life, then we can start to think clearly and we can start to make choices which put God and other people first. That's, that sort of sums up the first half of what I want to say. And, and practically speaking now, what I'd like to do is to talk about a plan to build our interior life, our life of prayer, and then talk about orientation towards others. Because if we just do it for ourselves, in the end, we're falling into this trap of radical individualism. And we don't want to do that because it won't make us happy and it won't fulfil God's plan for us either. So there's a bit of work to do. Think it through. Back to my cheat notes. Guys, I need more heckling. Hurry up. <laughs> okay, part three or four. <laughs> Think about this. Um, Remember, remember that we're told that we've been called out of darkness into his marvellous light. The, the descriptors of what it means to live a supernatural life, to constantly live a supernatural life, are dazzlingly attractive. But we have to ask ourselves, is that the space I'm in? They've done studies that say that people have 4,000 words of self-talk per minute going on, buzzing in their brains once you sort of complete all the sentences that are half-thought in our heads. And most of those 4,000 words of self-talk are very self-oriented. What am I going to do? Do I like this? Do I, why is he doing that to me? Etc. 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 It's quite a task for all of us to orient our life to God so that we love God with everything we've got. And our plans and our desires and our aspirations all revolve around that. Our memories revolve around that. It's big. Okay. What are the, I have a friend in, in Sydney who's a dentist. And she told me this story about how in the space of two days she had two little kids come into her dental surgery. And, and the first was a little boy. This probably says something about boys. But she asked the little boy, what do you want to be? And he sort of thought, he wrinkled up his brow and he said, I want to be a truck driver. And then a little girl, the same age, she's treating the next day. And she said to the little girl, sweetie, what do you want to be? And she says, I want to be a saint. <laughs> like crazy, right? Fantastic. But isn't that a world of difference? What, what are the ultimate goals we have in our lives? Remember, goal setting is prudence, but prudence in the light of faith. What goals are you setting yourself? Are your goals self-serving or are your goals God-serving? This is really important because we will not be happy in the long run if we if we just set ourselves self-serving goals. And, you know, one of the, one of the great insights of Aquinas about human psychology is that the, that the ultimate motivation for every action can be love. And it can be love of God if we're informing that action with faith. So when you go to do some work, you can be absolutely absorbed in your actuarial numbers. But, but nevertheless... But nevertheless, you can be doing that out of the love of God because the ultimate motivation is love of God in what you're doing and you realise that by doing this, I'm, I'm, I'm serving God and I'm serving others and I'll operate up my work and etc. etc. Um, okay, 
Let's go to the descriptors of holiness. Think of the descriptors of holiness in the, in the, in the New Testament. Our Lord puts them right at the start of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes. And they've been taken by the church. And Pope Francis writes about them beautifully. He, these are the descriptors of what we have to do to be holy. What comes after that? What comes after that is that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So we have to be holy, but we have to bring this holiness to other people. It's one paragraph and then the next. They're, they're inseparable. Very interesting. Let's talk about the holiness side first. Let's talk about building an interior life. Let's talk about, talk about building a life of prayer. Um, I had the enormous privilege in 2002, when I was close to your age, of going across to take part in a, a, sem, a sort of con, a congress in Rome for the 100th anniversary of the birth of Saint Josemaria, and in that congress, I was on a, I was flatteringly put onto a youth forum that sort of there were 10 people in a panel, and I was one of the oldest people in that panel, and. Um, I was the second oldest person in that panel. And it was very important. <laughs> it, and invariably, when the people on that, the young people on that panel started talking about St. Hazemaria's writings, you may, some of you may be familiar with a book called The Way, which is his most well-known book in millions of copies around the world, but The Way of Points for Prayer. But Inevitably, each of these people were saying, I found his advice so practical. And it made me look at his work that I'd known since I was a teenager, right? It made me look at his work with new eyes because I realised, yeah, it is practical because he talks so much about having a daily plan. He talks about having time in front of the Blessed Sacrament every day. He talks about nourishing our knowledge of our faith with some spiritual reading or a podcast every day. Just a few minutes, 15 minutes. He talks about the importance of mental prayer and vocal prayer. He talks about devotion to Our Lady. And you add all this stuff up, but it only adds up to an hour and a half max in our day. And we can find that very easily. Most of us, right? But, but very practical. He said, if you put those sorts of pegs in the wall of your day, then it's not difficult to live a supernatural life. What's it come down to? Prayer and sacraments. Prayer and sacramental life. So if you're trying to reinvigorate your faith after, after COVID times, what's the recipe? The recipe is prayer and sacraments. Big time. Spending time in front of the Blessed Sacrament. We couldn't get into a church for, for six months, but now make up for it. You know, some churches have keypads. You know, I know I, another guy I know that is on shift work and he, he, he goes past the church with the keypad. He gets in and he does some prayer in the silence of 3 a.m. in front of the church, in front of the, the Blessed Sacrament, blessed, the Blessed Sacrament Chapel in his, in his suburb. There's lots of different ways to do this. But we can't, we can't just shelve it and say it's not that important because if we don't invest ourselves in these goals we will not live a supernatural life 
we will get swept away by the milk and honey. Torrents of milk and honey. Shocking thought. Drowning in milk and honey. You and I can drown in milk and honey if we don't make, make the right choices. This is big. Let's take, have you heard of a, if any of you come across a, a, a young guy called Emmanuel Toei, T-O-H-I. Okay, Emmanuel Toei used to live in Melbourne. He was a 16 year old boy. I met his sister first at Monash and then I had the privilege to sit down and talk with his mum and dad. Emmanuel was a young guy who was 16 who was diagnosed with an with a illness that would take his life in a year and a half. And sure enough, it took his life in a year and a half. Um, when he got sick, and you look at the pictures on the net of Emmanuel, his mum's told the story of Emmanuel a few times in the, the, you know, the in magazines and things. And she, she doesn't. I, I sat in a cafe and she and her husband were talking to me about Emmanuel and his life and the extraordinary things that he was saying to them. And they had tears in their eyes and I had tears in my eyes. It was a, it was a very memorable conversation. When, when Emmanuel got sick, and it was one of these illnesses that once it turns on, the clock's ticking. When Emmanuel got sick, he said to his mum, who was a religion teacher, and she said, you know, I, was, I thought I'd done a really good job raising Emmanuel with his faith. And she said, Emmanuel asked me, mum, now that I'm sick, will you take me to mass every day? And can I go to confession every week? And of course, she said, and that's what they did. And then when the illness progressed, before he lost the use of his voice, because it was a, it's an illness that takes away your faculties one by one, before he lost the use of his voice, his mum said, Emmanuel said to me, mum, if I don't get better, you're not going to stop going to Mass every day, are you? And you're not going to stop going to confession every week, are you? And she said, no, of course we won't. And they're still going to Mass every day. It's extraordinary, the service that he did for his parents, right? And then when he started losing his faculties, first of all, he lost his capacity to see. So he was a footy player and his mum used to take him down to the oval and he put his hand on the railing and he'd, do, he'd just get exercise walking around. Although he couldn't see, he could hang onto the, the fence. And that's what he did for a number of months. But then there came a point, she said, where he lost his capacity. He lost his capacity to speak. And obviously that this is a big, big issue with the family, right? It's, it's a big family, there might be seven or eight kids, right? And the kids are at home looking out, caring for him. And then, he hasn't spoken, he hasn't spoken for two months, something like that. And then suddenly they realise Emmanuel's calling out. He's shouting out. They raced into his room and they said, Emmanuel, what's up? And he said, clearly, I have just seen Jesus. I've just seen Mary and she's very beautiful. And then he said to his mum, there was a large crowd of people with them and I didn't know who they were. And because Emmanuel was such a great young man who was offering up his sufferings and praying a prayer every day by his own choice for the souls in purgatory, his mum said to me that I told Emmanuel that I think these are the souls that you have 
been able to get to heaven because of your prayers for them. And these are the people that were with our Lord and our Lady. I mean, the story about Emmanuel is marvellous. If you get a chance to pull it off the net, T-O-H-I is the surname. And the mum goes into many more details of the way he proud, you know. At one stage, she said, he said to her, she said to him, mate, we're going to storm heaven for you. And he said, that's okay, mum, as long as you always say at the end of your prayers, thy will be done. This is a kid who's 16 who, who wants to live, right? But impressive. Anyway, what's the point of this? What did he ask his mum? He said, mum, can I receive Holy Communion every day? Can I go to confession every week? What goals are you setting yourself after a year when you could not have the Eucharist? What goals are you setting yourself to be Eucharistic? To be a Eucharistic soul if you're Catholic is core business. Why? Because we are called to be like Christ. The most moving moment in my teaching career, and I'm old, the most moving moment I'd employed a guy to be the history master at Redfield. He was a wonderful guy called Michael Douglas. I used to go and sit with Michael in a cafe on a first floor in a shopping centre. We'd just talk about the world, basically, and talk about a lot of things. He had a very deep faith. And Michael got diagnosed with something we thought initially was laryngitis, then we thought it was thyroid cancer. And it turned out that it was something even more sinister. He's teaching for a while with a speaker on his hip and then he got so bad he couldn't continue. I remember visiting him one day at home. We were sitting talking and he got my hand. He took my hand and he put it on his skull where the bone was starting to crumble. And I certainly won't forget that moment. Got me thinking. I got a phone call from his wife. Trish, and she said, better come in. They've taken Michael to palliative care and they don't think he's got very long. So that afternoon I went straight into Westmead Hospital and he was lying on the bed, glazed-eyed, completely out of it. I didn't even know if he could hear us when we were sitting there talking. And I was in the room, his wife was in the room and his daughter, who was also a teacher, so two of us were teachers sitting around his bed just chatting for about an hour and then suddenly out of the blue Michael sits up he hadn't said anything and he looked at his daughter and he looked at me and he said students must see Christ in their teachers and then he flopped back into bed that was my take home He told me one other thing that afternoon. The only other thing he said that afternoon was, don't be a pharaoh. The pharaohs didn't care about the people that worked for them. Don't be a pharaoh. So another good take home for me, right? But, but big message. Now, if that's true for teachers, it's 50 times truer for parents. It's 50 times truer for priests. But it's true for each of us, right? I mean, I was talking to somebody... One of our hecklers is into marketing, right? So, so we have to market our faith. How do we market our faith? In the end, if people don't see Christ in us, why would they bother? 
He's supposed to be your model when you do this. He's supposed to your he's supposed to be your model and you you look at that stuff. He's supposed to be your model and you waste time. I mean, it gets us thinking, right? It gets me thinking. Do you know any tattooists? I um, I was sitting next to. You get really interesting. How are we going for time, by the way? A few minutes. I was I was sitting next to a. You know how you sit next to randoms on planes. I was sitting next to this guy, who looked pretty interesting. He had a lot of metal in his face. Had some big tats which were a bit asymmetrical. Um, he had lumps under his skin. Uh, he had a few other interesting features that, that were obviously part of his um, acquired paraphernalia. And, um, and I said, oh, mate, you, you talk to people when they're sitting next to you. So I said, hey, mate, what do you do? And he said, I'm a body piercer. Hi, my name's Andy. He said, I'm Michael. I run a tattoo clinic in Ballarat. I just, I've just opened it. I don't know if he was touting the business, but, and, um, and then we started talking. And then he started showing me his photographs of implants that have been doing under people's skin. And, and then he showed me a little video of him burning someone's wrist, right? I forget what it's called, it's got some technical name he talked about. And he was very proud of his work. And I'm thinking, how do I take this in a productive direction? <laughs> and then I said, you must get a lot of mixed up people coming in sometimes, do you? Oh yeah, he said, they're terribly mixed up. You must get people who've got really sad, so, oh, there's such sad stories sometimes, these poor people. I think, okay, well, what do you do? I try to talk to them, it was really good. I try to talk to them. I try to say something that's going to help them. And I'm thinking, wow, you're champion. Okay, what's the message? We've got this deep within us, don't we? We want to do stuff to help people. This is so natural to us. And what are the biggest things we can do to help other people? Share our faith with them. This is the biggest thing. I mean, we've got, the, we've got all the answers. It doesn't mean we're living it perfectly, but gee, we've got gold to share with people. And we've also got a very natural desire to share good, th good things that we have with other people. It's, it's in our blood, it's in our genes. So think about how you do this. Think about what approach you take. Not just to having a practical way of living your own faith, but sharing your own faith with other people. Think about this. What are the, think of the prayer that our Lord taught us, the Our Father. What's the first half of the Our Father all about? The first half of the Our Father is actually all about glorifying the Father. A full half of the prayer is about glorifying the Father. And then in the second half of the prayer, we ask for our own stuff. Isn't that an interesting balance? Half our life should be focused very squarely, squarely on, I mean, in a sense, everything we do has to be focused on giving glory to the Father. But, but our Lord gives it half the weight of the prayer. So obviously we've got to make sure that we are honouring God our Father in everything we do. 
And that means offering up our work as well as we can, doing it as well as we can. This is a big message of St. Maria that our work is prayer. Your desk is an altar. When you sit down to do your work, you're offering up something to God. Because of, by virtue of the fact that we're baptised, we can do this. By virtue of the fact that we're baptised, God our Father is looking for ways to help us. He wants to listen to us. He wants us to talk to him. Yet we don't fill our consciousness with, with prayer. We fill our consciousness with pretty self-centred thoughts very often. All of us. Okay, last story. Does the name Jan Tiranovsky mean anything? Jan Tiranovsky. Jan Tiranovsky changed the history of the 20th century. He changed the history of the world. It's incredible. This guy was an unknown tailor in a corner of Europe. And he went to a Sunday mass where a Salesian priest said that we should be saints. And he went away and thought about it. And then he went up to the priest afterwards and said, that really left me thinking, can I do something to help in the parish? So the priest said, oh, sure. I mean, one of the things I've been wanting to do is to start a rosary group. Would you like to start a rosary group? So he starts a group that's called the Living Rosary. And attending that group is a young guy with some of his friends called Carol Voitia. And out of that Living Rosary group, two of those people became two of those people became priests. And the other one is on record saying that neither he nor Carol would have become priests if it wasn't for this guy called Jan Tiranovsky and the rosary group that incited, right? When John Paul was being ordained a priest, Jan Tiranovsky was in hospital dying. He just had his leg amputated and he couldn't go to the couldn't go to the ceremony and somebody said, what a pity you can't go. And he said, I'm offering everything up for those who are being ordained, Carol. He changed the history of the world, this guy. I think his cause of beatification is underway, right? But it makes you think. Sometimes we don't realise the effect of our actions on other people. Sometimes we, we don't take the opportunity to have the conversation with somebody I've just been to a, a, a memorial service today in Sydney for a guy I went to school with who drifted. No, nobody's sitting in judgment on this young guy, right? But he drifted and, um, and his son obviously hadn't been raised with very much faith and the end result was that it was a, there were a couple of readings there from, from scripture. It was in a leagues club and then we saw the young guy his father's ashes out onto the water at Maroubra Beach and sprinkle his dad's ashes. And you think, wow. Now I'd lost contact with this guy and maybe I should have made a much bigger effort to make keep contact with this guy who had been a classmate of mine who's now died from cancer, right? But, but what's the message? The message I think for me to think about and for you guys to think about is are there people you can be a bigger support for? Because, you know, as Bob Dylan says, time is an ocean, but it ends at the shore. And in the end, there will be no more time to help people.
So what can you do to help friends who also need a leg up after COVID time because they got completely out of the habit of going to church and maybe it was before COVID? But what can you do? Can you, can you get in your friend's ears and say, hey, come with me to Mass on Sunday? And maybe you only get one bite out of five, but you'll sow the seed there that probably it will have an impact down the track. Think big. Remember that it, it, on the night before he died, Jesus said, ask whatever you will and the Father will grant it to you. So our prayers are powerful because we are baptised and we are trying to be other Christs. So think big. And you've got a massive job to help your friends. And with that, we will have a break. And then if you've got questions, but the most important thing in my mind is you walk out of here tonight with one goal for yourself in the coming months. So just mull over that and we'll come back for some Q&A afterwards.